This is Tony Corley. If you don't know Tony, Tony is a, is a wonderful guy. What else did you tell me to write here? He's wonderful and handsome and, uh, and smart and smart. Tony is a great guy. He's been a member of our church here for about nine years and somebody I consider a dear friend and it's been a, a, a great help to me. And I'm going to, uh, we're going to kind of go back and forth a little bit about how he came into, into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's a great story, and it's one you really need to listen to because I, I think God will speak to your heart as you hear this. Tony, you, uh, you were raised in a good church-going Christian home, weren't you? I was, in fact, Pastor, uh, thanks to a, a godly mother and a, a mother who was committed and dedicated to the Lord. Uh, I've been in church all my life, and I think it was probably, it's probably safe to say that I was in church even before I was born. So, yes, I, I've been in church. You were nine months ahead of time in church, weren't you? Well, that's good. That's great. Tony, when you were a child, you, uh, you, you made a decision in church, were baptized. Is that correct? That is correct because I had grown up in the church and uh, I knew my way around, so to speak. I knew what you had to do to do church. And uh, I knew that at some point what was expected was that... Uh, you would uh, walk down the aisle, and you would join the church, and you would be baptized. And, and once all that was done, I knew the way you were supposed to behave and what you were supposed to do and not do and who you're supposed to be seen with and not seen with, where you're supposed to go and not go. And so I did all those things. And, and essentially all of my life, I have done the things that you would expect that you would see a uh, good church-going person do. Right, so, right. Yes, I, I, I had that experience. Tony, I've known you nine years now, and you, um, your adult life, you've been a religious man, a, a person active in church, and what we would say a good person too, haven't you? Yeah, well, I think so. Uh, I think you might want to ask Jane about how good I've been over all the years, but uh, uh, I, again, I think it was more of that doing what was expected out of a person who had been in church all of their life. And so I knew you went to church on Sunday. Uh, and Wednesday, and I knew that you read your Bible, and you went to Sunday school, and you, and uh, you know, you, you prayed. I I knew that you did all those things, and so that was essentially my Christian life, quote unquote Christian life. Uh, just about all of my adult life was right. going through the motions, just right. doing what uh, was expected, and uh, and that's what people saw. Right. Well, and and you know, being your pastor for. Nine years, I would say this guy was as good a church member, a, a servant uh, as that, that we have. We have a lot of really good people here, and you were on the level with those top people, uh, absolutely. The chairman of the deacons, uh, a leader in, in many, many areas. But yet, Tony, uh, last a year ago in October in our fall revival, uh, something happened in your life. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, something happened, all right. Um, I got saved. And, mm. uh, I mean, that's the short answer. But um, it wasn't something that I just got caught up in as an emotional experience in a right. revival service because I had felt like for weeks and maybe even months that there was something wrong in my life, that there was an emptiness, that there was something missing. Uh, I felt like there was no sense of purpose, mm. no fulfillment, no joy, and certainly uh, no peace with mm. respect to my uh, spiritual experience, if you want to call it that. And mm -hmm. so last summer, the summer of uh, 2012, you preached a sermon from the seventh chapter of Matthew, and, 
And uh, although I don't remember the exact name of the sermon, or the title of the sermon, it essentially was uh, something to the effect about some of the most troubling words that we will find in Scripture. And the text for the sermon that day came from uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount toward the end of the sermon when he's warning his listeners about uh, false prophets and people who appear to be something that they're not. And his... Uh, uh, his warning to them was that uh, not not every person who called him Lord, Lord would enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the people who heard that responded, uh, haven't we done good things? Haven't we, you know, cast out demons? And haven't we faithfully gone to church? And haven't we given our money? And haven't we done all of the things that a person is expected to do? And Jesus said, depart from me because I never knew you. And so... My prayer after that sermon was, for weeks after that, was, you know, Lord, is that me? Is that me just going through the motions, just uh, doing what was expected of me? And the conviction came back very clearly, uh, yes, Tony, that's you. And uh, I suppose all those things that I would, no, I don't suppose, I know all those things that I was doing as when I was doing church, those were good things. I mean, those are, nobody would argue that those are not good things. But the problem was that's not the way for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. I mean, you've got to have something going on inside here. There has to be a change in here. Right. Uh, and all of those things turn out to be the evidence that there has, in fact, been something right. good going on in there. And, and I never had that. And so in October, I fixed that. That's, that's awesome. You know, Tony, what's scary, and it is scary. It, it, it is scary because if I would have done your funeral in September of that year, uh, I I'm not overly flowery. If I don't know a person's spiritual condition, I'm not going to try to preach them into heaven at their funeral. Uh, I, I had a little bit of discernment where people are on that issue, and I would have preached with confidence you were in heaven. But you wouldn't have been, I would you? Have been. That's no, scary. It that, is that, indeed. Yeah. Uh, was that tough to do, Tony? I mean, you're a deacon, you're a Sunday school teacher. and Yeah, sure, it was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was tough because I was concerned about uh, what my family was going to say and what they were going to think and I was concerned about all my friends and all the church folks that I knew here at church, what they were going to think and what they were going to say and at the end of that my conclusion was that you know, to let my decision about what I was going to do in response to the conviction that I was facing to let that be determined by what other people thought of me and how they viewed that decision uh, was short sighted at best mm. so you, you did it, didn't yeah. you? What, what would you say today? You know, we've got, we've got a good crowd of people here. You, you certainly, there, there's, there's somebody here. There's, there's more than some. There, there's there's going to be a good number of people who are going to struggle with that same decision even this morning. What would you say to them, Tony? Well, Pastor, I think what I would say is that you need to get it right. You need to do whatever you need to do to get it right. And by the way, getting it right doesn't mean you have to replicate my experience, uh, but you have to get it right in your relationship with, uh, with Christ. And uh, there isn't anybody who wants you to get it right more than Jesus Christ. And so he's ready and he's waiting, and he wants you to get it right. And you get it right the same way any lost person gets it right. You confess your sins and you repent, and you invite Christ into your life to be your Lord and master, and then that's doing it. That's doing it right. So, 
you know, if you have concerns and you don't think you've done it right or you got it right, then I would encourage you to see the pastor or one of the ministers or spend some real time in prayer about that issue because getting it right has eternal consequences. It's got consequences for this life, but it's got eternal consequences that are almost unspeakable if you get it wrong. It's worth it, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Let's give Tony a hand. Would you pray with me one more time? God, speak to our hearts this morning. We're listening. We're open. We want to hear what you have to say. I pray that all distractions will be minimized and our hearts and minds will be attuned. And God, whoever needs to do what Tony did this morning, give them the courage to do it. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Uh, great, uh, a great story, and in, in knowing Tony, it's really an exciting and a great story. And that's so what we're going to do this morning is, uh, is we're going to do a self-evaluation. If you have a bulletin, on the back of that bulletin where the sermon notes are, there's a little test that I want you to take. Now, the test is for you. We're not going to ask you to sign it. We're going to put it on the big screen or nail it to the cross in the baptistry or anything like that. This is for you, but I want to encourage you to take this test today. Uh, it is a self-evaluation, but it's conducted or, or we're getting our principles from God. You know, if you, um, if you go to the doctor, especially this time of the year, and you're kind of coughing and you feel bad, they're going to they're gonna ask you some, some self-evaluatory questions questions they're going to ask you do you have you know have you had a fever and I always say well I think so and I'm sure that's very helpful to the doctor isn't it you know they'll ask you if you're coughing where are you coughing up is it clear or is it not clear I don't want any more detail on that because that says something about what's going on is it worse at night worse in the day and in this morning we're going to do a soul evaluation is what I want us to do now our scripture is 2 Corinthians if you have your Bible 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 and honestly, this is the most important test that you can ever take. And if you're not, one thing I would say, here's a, here's a real alarm going off. If you're not interested, if, this, if, the, if the thought of this topic just bores you right off the bat, that's a red light, there's a problem, okay? This is a, a very important, very, very important topic. In, in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 13, here's what it says. It says, examine yourselves. To see whether you're in the faith. In other words, examine yourself to see if you're really a Christian. Test yourself. Two times in just a few words, he says, examine, look within, dig deep hard, prove to yourselves what he's saying, that you are in the faith. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ lives in you unless, of course, you what? You fail the test. In the New Testament language, as Paul was saying this, he was using an emphatic voice. I mean, he was, he was, it was with authority he was saying this. Now, this is very important, too. It was Christians, our church people, who got this first. This wasn't some kind of crusade for the pagan or, or something like this. This was a letter written to the church at Corinth being read to church people that God was saying, church people and anybody else who wandered into church that morning, I want you to examine yourself, test yourself, to see whether or not you really are a Christian. So draw a circle around yourself for the next few minutes. Don't pray for the person beside you or behind you. 
Think about this yourself. All that's at stake on this test is whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're going to go to heaven or not when you leave this earth, whether you'll have the the best life and the most fulfilled life God wants for you here on this earth. A pretty stinking important evaluation. Now, here is a couple of the tests the Bible lays out. The first is what I call the intellectual test. The mental test of Christianity. This is, this is certainly not the end all, but it's the beginning. To become a Christian, you have to believe or accept certain truths about Jesus Christ. Again, this is not the final point, but it is the starting point. And, and some of those are found. I'll give you a few verses. Now, I've got a lot of verses. You can write these down. If you want to, we'll have them on the screens. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're going to see a pattern here. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. In verse 5, and he appeared alive to Peter and then to the 12. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, and this is the command to believe in the name of the Son of God. Believe in the name of Jesus. Folks, to become a Christian, it starts in your mind. It starts with you and I being willing to accept some basic facts about Jesus Christ. You may never understand all these fully. You don't have to. You may never be able to explain all of it fully. That's okay. People who can explain everything are usually arrogant and they're wrong half the time. Don't worry about that. This is just accepting it. Do you believe Jesus is God's son? Do you believe Jesus died on the cross? Do you believe he came back to life? Well, I don't know how anybody could come back to life. You don't have to know how. You just have to accept it's what the Bible says. The Bible says the first step of Christianity is an intellectual one. It's a mental one. It's accepting who Jesus Christ is and what he did. Patricia Heaton was the uh, co-star on the Everybody Loves Raymond show. She's an actress in Hollywood. She's also a Christian. She made a great statement. She said, if you want to find out where people are Ask them what they believe about Jesus. Jesus is the dividing point. People will tell you they believe in God. People will tell you they are spiritual. Ask them what they believe in Jesus. That's where you get people mad. That's where you separate things. Folks, here's the first test. And, and look, on your, look on your little, again, your, your bulletin. The pass fail there. Do you pass that? Do you accept Jesus as the Son of God? And that he died and that he arose for you. Play along for your sake, not for my sake. Check, pass, or fail on that. Where, how, how are you doing so far after one question? If, you're, if you fail all of them, we can solve that before you leave here today, by the way. So don't panic. Here's the second test. I call it the when and the what test. When did you become a Christian? And what happened when you say you became a Christian? And verse 5, examine yourselves. Look within Test yourselves to see whether you truly belong to Christ. Again, this was first written to a church. Are are you getting that? That's significant. Billy Graham, the great preacher for many, many years, has said for for years he believed up to 60% of people on church rolls were not Christians. That's phenomenal. But that's probably accurate. 
In other words, more than half the people who belong to churches don't truly belong to Jesus Christ. And, and that's what Paul is trying to assess here and with them and with us. What about the when question? When did you become a Christian? When did you become a Christian? Now, here's what, here's what I have heard more in the last 15 years. I, I don't think I ever heard this 20 years ago. I'll ask somebody, when did you become a Christian? And they'll smile and go, I've always been a Christian. I've always been a Christian. I've always been a Christian. You know what? You've not always been a texter, have you? When did you become a lady texter? I've always been one. No, you haven't. When you were three years old, you were not a part of the team. Amen, coach? That's true. And if you goof up, you will not always be a part of the team. You haven't always been a part of First Baptist Church, if you're a member here. You haven't always been a Christian. John 3, 3, listen to how it describes a Christian. Jesus talking to a religious person said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one's going to heaven unless he is born again. The Bible describes becoming a Christian as the equivalent of a birth. It is a second birth. It is a radical act that, that, that you can remember. How many of you in here know your birthday? There was an athlete born in, in my mom's hometown in the early 40s. His name was Homer Jones. Homer Jones was a great football player. Pittsburgh, Texas, where my mama was born and raised. Homer Jones went to Texas Southern in Houston, and then he played in the NFL for several years. He was a great football player. But Homer was born, like my mom, in rural East Texas. And he was born in a home. And when he was a baby, there was a house fire, and all the records and documents were burned. And... Nobody knew exactly how old Homer was. Isn't that incredible? Now, I looked up this week on, uh, on the Internet, and they give him a birth date. So I don't know if Homer or somebody just went, it'll be here, which would be a nice thing to do, wouldn't it? I would adjust mine every year three or four times to have three or four birthdays. But, you know, especially you go back 400 years ago. I, I look at my family tree. They were poor. And if you would have been born in a cabin and mom or dad died when you were little or there was a fire and you moved away, nobody, they might have had an idea when you were born. It was snowing outside, but it was possible not to know your birthday. It's not very possible now in America. But folks, spiritually, God says becoming a Christian is such a definitive act that it's, it's likened to being born. In other words, you need to know when you were born again. You don't have to know the exact day, the exact hour. You had a green shirt on and you had orange socks. You don't have to know that. But you ought to know when it happened. Now, here's the second part of this. What happened? Now, this is crucial. If we were to go around the room today and ask people, when did you become a Christian? Well, I was 8, or I was 9, or I was 12. What happened? Tell us about that. Here's what we would hear. We would hear, well, I was baptized, or I joined the church, or I got confirmed, or I was sprinkled, I was christened. And all those things are great, but did you know none of those things make you a Christian? You become a Christian when you not only intellectually believe things about Jesus, but when you repent of your sin and you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, surrendering your life to him, that's when you become a Christian. I want to ask you this morning... Can you answer with certainty when you became a Christian and what happened when you became a Christian, if you did? Look at your little sheet, the little pass-fail test. This is, it gets tougher, and it's going to get tougher before we leave, but do you pass that or do you fail that? 
And remember, the only person you have to be honest with is yourself, but the only thing that's at stake is your eternity. You need to be honest with that. Now, here's the third test. That's what I call the, the God love test or the love God test. And, and these next tests, what, we, what, what they do from the Bible is they examine our desires and our behaviors. You see, someone who's truly given their life to Christ, not just said a prayer or not just got baptized, but someone who's truly given their life to Christ, there is a change in their life. One of it is how they relate to God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 6, we know that we have come to know him, that we're a Christian if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know Jesus, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. In verse 6, he ends this, whoever claims to live in Jesus lives like Jesus. Lives in him, lives like him. If you're a Christian today, your desires for the things of God and God are different. Now, I'm going to say some hard stuff, but I'm saying it because I love you and I want you to hear it. Because your eternity is at stake. How can you say you really love God and you know God, but you have no interest in reading your Bible? How can you say, I really love God I just don't really, church is not really important. How can you say, I love God, but I'm just going to pray when I'm fixing to get caught by the police or my parents? I remember when I got saved, I was 19 years old. I'd, I'd gone to church just like Tony all my life, all the time. I got saved on a Monday night, and I went to church on Wednesday. I was 19 years old. It was the end of my freshman year in college. Guys, I'd been in church my whole life. I hated to sing. I never like to pray unless I was in a bind. When I went to college as a freshman, my mom put a $20 bill in my Bible in August. I found it in late November. That's funny, isn't it? It's bad. But I went to church that Wednesday night after I got saved, and the weirdest thing is I, I was singing when the songs came up. I hated singing. I thought if you were a man and you sang during church that you were a sissy. That's what I thought. And then all of a sudden, I'm singing. It's terrible, but I'm doing it. I mean, people are moving away. It's like, man, this guy is terrible. But you know what? I didn't care. And all of a sudden, I wanted to read my Bible. I wanted to pray. I wanted to be in church. You, you know what happened? Jesus came to live inside of me. You see, when, when you become a Christian, if you have become a Christian, you have a love for God and the things of God. Let's be real today. You pass that. Pass, fail, look at your sheets. Do you really have that? Here's the fourth test. I call it the sin test. The sin test. How we do life and our behavior. First John chapter 3, and, and while that's coming on the screen, I would just tell you, if you go home this afternoon, the book of First John is the great book that really lays open how you can tell if you're a Christian. 1 John 3, 7 through 10. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. He who does what's right is righteous, just as he is righteous. 
He who does what is sinful is of the devil. That's pretty powerful. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. Cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know we are the children of, who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Now, that's tough. This people who were getting this letter originally in Corinth, Corinth was a wicked city. And in the church, man, there was a lot of immorality. There was a lot of bad behavior. And God said to them, he said, you need to examine yourself to see if you really belong to God. How can you live like the devil and say you truly belong to Jesus? Now, now folks, this is not saying a Christian never sins because if you're a Christian today, you have two natures, the Bible says. You've got God in you, plus you've still got an old nature that has a desire to do wrong and has a desire to sin. You're going to sin. The best way to understand this is a Christian sins, they just don't waller in it. They're not comfortable in it. Again, I go back to my own experience. Before I was a Christian, on the weekends, every Friday and Saturday night, I, I went to a bar and I stayed till it closed. And I wasn't into dancing. You know, I wasn't going to get jiggy with it. I was going because I wanted to get drunk. That was why I was going. And that's where everybody I hung out went with. And then I became a Christian. And the weirdest thing, I just didn't even want to go back there anymore. And then about six or seven months later, I, I was around some Christian people who were judgmental, who were, who were just kind of yucky, to be honest. They probably weren't even Christians. They were just religious people. And I said, you know, if that's how Christianity is, I don't really want anything to do with it. So I started going back to the bars, and the weirdest thing happened. I would sit in a bar I'd been in a hundred times before, and I'm just absolutely miserable. Just absolutely miserable. You know what it was? I didn't know what it was. I'd lay in bed at night during that two or three-month period and say, God... Leave me alone. You know what it was? It was God living in me. They were saying, I am not comfortable in this mess. I had a preacher tell me this one time, and, and this is a great, great test for you. When you sin, do you feel guilty? And if you feel guilty, what is the guilt? Is it, if you're a young person, is it the thought of your parents finding out? If you're a player, is the thought of your coach finding out? Is it the thought of your husband or wife discovering your behavior? Is that what makes you feel bad? Or, or when you lay in bed by yourself, is it just that God himself lives in you and he's punching you saying what you're doing is wrong? See, Christians sin, but the difference is a Christian doesn't waller in their sin. They don't continue in it as a lifestyle. Pass fail. Pass fail. How are you doing this morning on this? Here's the fourth test. It's the love others test. And boy, this is a biggie. We're going to lose some people on this if we're real, real honest this morning. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, listen to what God says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Look in verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Jump down to verse 20 and 21 in the same chapter. Anyone who says, I love God, yet hates his brother is a liar. 
For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. People in Corinth getting this letter. A lot of them are just mean. A lot of them are just mean. He was telling them, look, man, examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Here's the test. It's in the Bible. You walk around all religious, all holy, judgmental, condemning people with your 80-pound Bible, and you don't like other people, and you're going to bust hell wide open someday. Tell you, the worst thing for the church is mean church people. Why do you want to go to church with mean people? Amen? I can find that anywhere. (laughs) And I'm just telling you, I'm telling you the truth. If you don't have a basic nature of love and compassion and kindness in your heart, you are going to hell. You are lost. Say, preacher, that's strong and mean. No, that's truth. That's truth. You see, I grew up saying, thinking that if you just didn't smoke dope and you didn't drink, then that made you a Christian. That's not true. You can be the straightest heir in the world and die and go to hell. The people that gave Jesus the most pain were the most religious. If you don't love people, you are headed to hell. You need to be saved this morning. Well, preacher, I'm good and I'm moral, and you're offending me. I'm sorry. I really am sorry. I am not offensive by nature. But I'm trying to tell you the truth. The bad trend in Christianity the last 15 years, it's a good trend and a bad trend. We've moved to a more intellectual Christianity. The good part of it is, is man, you can get on the internet and you can, you can listen to sermons, you can read stuff. It's just phenomenal. It's like having a library just there in your lap. It's phenomenal. And I am, man, I got eight years in graduate school of, of theology. I mean, I'm all for that. But if your intellectual pursuits is not changing your heart, it's hurting you. It's not helping you. A faith that doesn't change your life cannot save your soul. You say, I know Jesus, man, I know Jesus. If he hadn't changed your life, he hadn't saved your soul, you don't know Jesus. Please look hard. And here's here's another disgusting thing. I love my four, but no more. That's not Christianity. That's redneck. The biggest hillbilly in the world can love his family and love those people who like them. Christianity spreads beyond the borders, man. The love test. Be honest with yourself this morning. Pass or fail. That's real tough, but man, I'm trying to help you. The pass, fail on that. Where you fall. And the last part is the internal test. This kind of brings it all together. What's going on in your heart right now? In Romans 8, 16... It says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Listen, the Spirit is also testifying to some of your hearts right now that you're not God's children. 1 John three twenty four, Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. Now let's look one more time at verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. 
Do you not realize that, look, Christ lives in you unless, of course, you fail the test. Guys, here's something awesome. If you are a Christian, when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit, God in spirit, Jesus in spirit came to live in you. Isn't that awesome? If you're a Christian, Jesus lives in you. And right now, here's what Jesus is doing in your heart if he lives in you. He is, he is patting you on the inside and saying, you're good. You're my child. You have an assurance of that in your heart. But here's what's going on in some of your hearts today. And this doesn't make you bad. This just makes you in need of Jesus. The Holy Spirit standing on the outside knocking, saying, let me in. You see, when you sit in a sermon and you feel terribly uncomfortable and you feel like you just can't wait for it to be over, you know what that is? That is the Holy Spirit on the outside saying, you need to let me in. That's the internal test. And I want to ask you, do you pass that or do you fail that right now? Pretty important. How many in here remember who Pete Maravich was? If you don't know who Pete Maravich was, you need to YouTube him or do whatever you need to do to watch him play basketball. He was one of the greatest basketball players ever. He played at a small school in Baton Rouge in college. He played the LSU, and, and he averaged over 44 points a game before a three-point line. Is that not, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. He was the first white guy that the Harlem Globetrotters ever asked to come play for him. He was such a magician with a basketball. He was so unbelievable with a basketball. He scored 68 points in an NBA game in 1977 against the Knicks. 68 points. He's in the Hall of Fame with Coach, with Carl. He's, he was unbelievable. After his basketball career was over, he became a Christian. And sadly, he died a few years later at the age of 40. But those, years, those few years before he died, when he was a Christian, he was sold out for Jesus. He went around preaching and talking about Jesus. And he was asked one time, Pete, what do you want put on your tombstone? Do you want Hall of Famer? Do you want NBA All-Star? Do you want your, your points per game average from college? What do you want on your tombstone? And Pete said, well, I guess if I was going to have anything put on it, I would have one word put on it, and that would be saved. Because all that's going to matter in eternity is that Pete Maravich was saved. Are you? Let's pray. I want to ask you right now to dig real deep into your heart. Did you pass or fail this morning? If you failed, or if you go, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. I want to invite you to pray with me to give your life to Christ where you're seated. Just pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want God, I want to turn from my sins. I, I accept that you're God's son, Jesus, and that you died 
and that you arose for me. And Jesus, today, I give you my life. Jesus, come into my heart and save me this morning. I want to ask you to keep your head bowed and eyes closed for just another second. If you prayed that with me just then and you really meant it, really understood what you were doing, would you raise your hands just for a moment? Would you raise your hands? Thank you. Let me have your attention just for a moment. You passed the test today. That is so awesome. When we give the invitation in a moment, maybe today you'd like to join our church. We'd love for you to. Step out and come and do that today. Maybe, Christian, come and pray at the altar or pray with a minister for somebody you know who's failing the test. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you asked Christ in your heart or you're ready to do it. I want to ask you again, don't leave here unsure of where you're going to spend eternity. The choice is yours. We'll help you right here, right now. When we stand, you come. Get a friend or family member to come with you. Let us help you. Let's stand. And as we sing, you respond to Christ. He's waiting on you this morning.